Isn't it amazing that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, came to this earth and spoke with authority and power, truth that transforms the lives of people that obey it. And isn't it wonderful that God in his mighty power and grace preserved all those awesome words that Jesus spoke? And we weren't there when he was on the sit on the hillside and gave the Sermon on the Mount. We weren't there when he gave a lot of the parables. But you know, I can read them. I can just open my Bible and I just see what Jesus is saying. Some of it gives me such great comfort. Some of the things that Jesus said trouble me and disturb me. But you know, it's awesome that we have the very words of the Son of God that we can read, meditate on, believe, and act on 2,000 years later. How precious is the Word of God. Now, now one that disturbs me, but there's one thing about Jesus. He spoke the truth in love. He said, narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it. That, That bothers me. I want people, I want everybody to be saved. I want everybody to know the life that's in Jesus, the forgiveness. But Jesus said, you know, narrow's the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. And few that be that find it. And then he said, but you know, broad is the way. And broad is is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in, there out. Man, I wish it was the other way. I wish he just said, man, broad is the gate and broad is the way that leads to life eternal and there'll be many people that will find it. That's not what he said. He said, narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life And few that be that find it. Today I want us to look at two tremendous truths that kind of deal with that in some degree. uh, That Jesus said. The main thing at the end I want to talk about a parable that Jesus gave. But then I just want to talk about some truth before I get there. There are two things that I want to deal with from the word of God today. The first one I call blessed assurance. And the other is tragically deceived. Quite a contrast. Blessed assurance. I need that. You need that in a troubled and chaotic world that's full of deception and lies. Man, we need blessed assurance. But then it troubles me. It troubles me. The reality of somebody being tragically deceived. 
Now, as we think about blessed assurance, I want to talk to you about, in the beginning, the security that a person has who is in Christ and Christ is in them. Let me put it another way. I, I want to talk about the security that a person has who is a true child of God. And there's no greater assurance than to know I am a child of God. Jesus Christ lives in me. I am a new creation in him. I'm not the person I used to be. I'm headed in a new direction. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father, yes, with all power and authority, but he has come to live inside of me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's so much confusion about what it means to be a true child of God. So much confusion about what it means to be genuinely saved. I always feel it necessary to, to, to define it as simply as I can. And then to show you that once a person is, once Christ comes to live in a person, they are as secure as eternity itself. Of course, you know that salvation goes this way. First of all, we have to understand that we're sinners. We have to understand that we're lost. Now, you can't be saved if you don't know you're lost. So the first thing the Holy Spirit has to do is to convict us and show us that we are sinners and that we are separated from God and that we are lost. And I'll tell you, conviction is real. I mean, conviction, when it really gets a hold of you, you say, my heavens, I'm lost. If I died today, I'd spend eternity in hell. And forever separated from God. And the Spirit of God brings conviction on you. And then you realize, hey, the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, it will die. Unless you believe in me, Jesus said, you will die in your sin. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of our lostness. And he reveals to us that we are sinners separated from God because of our sin. But then... In light of the bad news, he brings the good news. He said, but you know, God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place. God took all your wickedness and all of your sin and placed it on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus died in your place. He bore your sin, 1 Peter says, in his body on the tree. And Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice for your sin. And if you will repent, that means change your mind. It's one thing to know you're a sinner, but it's another thing to say, I don't want to keep sinning. It's one thing to know you're a sinner, but it's another thing to say, but I want to leave my sin behind. And you can by the power of Jesus. But you repent of your sins, realize that Jesus Christ died in your place, and you trust Jesus and Jesus only. Jesus and Jesus only, you receive him, you trust him, you rely on him, you cling to him, you depend on him, 
Jesus plus nothing. You look to Jesus and Jesus only as your Lord and Savior. Not Jesus plus church membership, not Jesus plus baptism, not Jesus plus the Lord's Supper, and it's certainly not Jesus plus good works. It is Jesus Christ alone that can save you, transform you, and give you eternal life. Now that's the truth. But you ask people, are you saved? Are you a Christian? You liable to find here 10,000 answers. My granddaddy was a preacher. What's that got to do with you being saved? Okay, now, having tried to make as clear as the Holy Spirit could through me, I want to talk to you about how secure a person is that's in Christ. I love this verse, Colossians 1.27. It'll be on the screen. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Where? Christ in you, the hope of God's glory. That's the hope of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then it turns right around in Colossians 1.27 says, but it is Christ in you that is the hope of the glory of God. And then there's another great verse that I'm talking about the security in a believer. Galatians 2.20, we know these verses. But man, if you ever get them in your heart, and, and, and you, you really begin to act on them, I mean, it'll change your understanding of the Christian life. It's not Jesus up there and you down here. It's Jesus who's come to live inside of you and given you the power to live the Christian life. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. He took me and my sinful nature and nailed it to the cross. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ in you. Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, with that understanding that a Christian is a person in whom Christ lives, I want to talk to you about the security that a person has in Christ. In an insecure world, in a chaotic world, in a world where they're calling right, wrong, and wrong, right, darkness, light, and light, darkness, <coughs> in this world... We can live as secure as if we were already in heaven. And that security is in Christ. Here's the first promise. I want to give you some promises about the security we have in Christ. The promises that in Christ we are eternally secure in him. All right, there's the promise of Jesus. All right, look at John. I'm going to put John 10, 27 through 30. Now, this verse tells you uh, where you are if you're in Christ. And it tells you how secure you are in him. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. That's good. And they follow me. Now look at this. I give them eternal life. And they may not perish. That's not what it says. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And neither shall anyone snatch them. Out of my hand. And that concludes the devil. My father who has given to them to me. Is greater than all. And no one can snatch them. Out of my father's hand. How secure are you if you're saved? <laughs> you're in the hand of Jesus. And, if, and, and in the hand of the father. 
And I'll tell you all the world, the flesh and the devil and all the demons of hell can't get through the hand of Jesus and the Father to get you out of it. Man, that's, that's security. You're not afraid to live. And praise God, you're not afraid to die. Because he says, I give them eternal life. But then there's another promise. Uh, that in Christ, now listen to this. We are kept by the power of God. Some people get the idea now. I'm down here and Jesus is up there. And I'm holding on as tight as I can so that I'll stay saved and that I'll make it to heaven. I'm going to hold on. Hold on. That's, that's, that's not it. Here it is. John 10. Excuse me. It is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Look at what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has given us a living hope. Hey, we have hope in a troubled world. We have hope in a sinful world. We have a hope in a world full of darkness. We have hope in a world that is headed toward judgment. We have hope. He's given us a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. Reserved in heaven for you. You're, who are, but look at this. This is what I want you to see. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by struggling and striving. That is not what it says. Who are kept by the power of God. Did you know when you got saved, not only are you in the hand of Jesus and the Father, but God has given you a living hope because Jesus is alive and he's given you an inheritance. And the Bible says that you are kept by the power of God. It's God keeping you. It's not you struggling and striving. It's you being absolutely clay in the potter's hand. And you're kept by the power of God unto salvation. That redemption of our body when we go on to heaven. Ready to be revealed in the last time. We're kept by God's power. That's where our security is in Christ. There's another promise. Not only that we have eternal life and we're in the hand of Jesus and the Father. Not only that we have a living hope, but that we're kept by the power of God. But then there's that promise that what God started in us, God's going to finish. You know, God doesn't start something and then quit. The Bible says what he started in you when you got saved, he's going to finish it till the day of Christ. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to look at it. It talks about how that we are kept. It's, it's Philippians Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We have it. I know where it is in the Bible. Oh, here it is. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We read on. It says in the next verse. Going, to, going through verse 5. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, th I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then he's going to tell you. All right, Paul's talking about that. It's important that I read it. Jack. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with joy. 
But let me see it right here. I want you to listen to it. That what God has started, God is going to finish. And it's Philippians 1, 3 through 5. Let me see it right here. All right. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now listen at this sixth verse. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it till the day of Jesus Christ. He said, I rejoice that I know you and I rejoice that you're in Christ. He said, but I want to tell you one thing. Paul's writing to those Philippian Christians. I want you to know I am confident that the good work God has started in you, he will finish it till the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, when God saved you, he, did, he didn't save you, and he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to let go of you. And I'm telling you, what he started in your life, if you're a child of God, he will finish. All right? Here's another promise. We're securing the fact that we're in the hand of Jesus and we have eternal life. We have a living hope and are kept by the power of God. That the good work that God has begun in us, he'll finish it in the day of Jesus Christ. And the next promise is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, where it talks about that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to see that, God's, that we stay saved. Look at what it says. That we, that we who first trusted in Christ should be, should be to the praise of his glory. In him, he's, Paul said, now we, we first trusted in Jesus. Now look what he says. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You and I heard the word of truth and we trusted in Jesus. The gospel of our salvation. Um, in whom having believed, you were sealed. You were sealed by the Holy, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now get this. Who is our guarantee? He said, you know, we first trusted in Christ. And when you heard of him, you trusted in him. You, be, you believed the gospel. And you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What he's saying there is, when you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit, of, Holy Spirit sealed you in Christ, and he is going to keep you until you, are, you go to heaven to be with Jesus forever. I'm telling you, there is the guarantee that the Holy Spirit will keep us until we get to heaven. Now, I'm talking about the security that a child of God has in Jesus. So I mentioned four, and here's the fifth one, then I'm going to move on. Okay, so what, what is our security? That we're in the hand of Jesus, in the hand of the Father, and nobody can snatch us out of his hand. What is the promise? That in Christ we're kept by the power of God. What is the promise? That what God has started in you, he's going to finish. Now this is all the word of God, y'all. This is not my opinion. This is the word of God. That what God started in you, he's going to finish. And then when you got saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit. He come to live in you. Your body is, is his temple, and he sealed you into Christ. And the Holy Spirit's God's guarantee that you're going to make it to that inheritance, the redemption of the purchased possession. Well, here's the last one. That God, 
We're secure in Christ because we are in a covenant relationship with God. When you got saved, God made a covenant with you through his son, Jesus Christ. And God always keeps his covenant. God never breaks his covenant. There are two, two passages that talk about the covenant relationship with God. In Hebrews 9, 13 through 15, it talks about how through the blood of Jesus we get into a covenant with God. It says, For if the blood of goats and calves and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, listen, if blood, and, blood of uh, goats and calves can cover your blood, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God, without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And he said, for this reason, that through his blood, he's cleansed your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Oh, a new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal life. Listen, we are in a covenant relationship with God, and that was purchased by Jesus Christ. And God is our Father, and Jesus is our Savior, and we are children of God, and we're in a covenant relationship with God. And that covenant that God has made, will now, he will never break. We are secure in a covenant relationship with God. He says it again. In Hebrews 10, uh, 16 through 18. This is the covenant. All right. I'm talking to Christians. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. Say, if the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts. And I will, in their minds, I will write them. And then he says in the next verse, and he adds, their sins and lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. Okay, that's the good news. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, and only the Holy Spirit can bear witness. I pray to God that you know, don't you think, hope, maybe. I am telling you, don't you have any, any doubt about your security in Jesus Christ. But now I want to go on. That's called the blessed assurance. But now I want to talk about the tragic deception. The warning against being tragically deceived. And I'm just going to have one main passage I want to show you here. In the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus, Jesus gave a parable. Now, you know what a parable is. Jesus took earthly things that people could understand to teach them spiritual things that they could not necessarily understand. So he would take the familiar of earthly things to teach the truth about spiritual things. Now, you all know this, all right? But let's just look at what the Word of God says. J Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell in stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because there was no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns broke, sprang up. Some of the seed fell on thorns. And it choked them out. But look at this. But others fell on good ground. 
and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Okay. We got the uh, three, three grounds or three soils. And the tragedy about those three souls is they were all barren. They all bore no fruit. They all had the seed, which is the word of God. It all fell into their lives. But three of them ended up just being barren. No fruit. One ground, the seed fell, and it bore fruit. A hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Well, Jesus went on and said, now, let me be sure you understand the parable of the sower. So he went down in verse 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. See, this is what I love about Jesus. Man, I just got his words right here, and I can just read them. I wasn't there when he spoke them 2,000 years ago. But glory to God, here they are. He said, when anyone hears the word of God or the word of the kingdom, does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is a seed that was sown by the wayside. But he received the seed on stony ground. Is he who hears the word immediately and receives it with joy? Yet he has no root in himself. He endures only for a while. <coughs> Tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, and he immediately stumbles. Now, he that receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Now, get this. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Here's the troubling thing. There were four, four soils, three of them had no fruit, and three of them were lost. That's three out of four. Now, wait a minute. Jesus said, narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Now, that troubles me, that here were people uh, that heard the word of God, and for whatever reason, it never brought forth any lasting fruit in their life. You say, well, Brother Fred, maybe they were saved and just weren't fruitful. No, that's not it. Uh -uh. I'm going to show you why I know that. Because let's just show how important it is for us to have fruitful lives. How that when we are fruitful, it is evident that we know Jesus. It is evident that he is, we're a new creation in him. It is the fruit in our life that bears. It's not what we confess. It's not what we experience we had. It's not what somebody else told us. I'm okay. You're okay. No, what it is, is, is there any fruit in my life? Is there any fruit? Well, let's talk about 
uh, the importance of fruit. We don't want to have barren lives. We don't want to be barren. No fruit. All right, we first of all, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 8, he made an amazing statement. Now get this. He was baptizing people in the Jordan. And the scribes and Pharisees came to him to be baptized. Well, John knew what they were. Jesus called them a a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs and clean on the outside but wicked on the inside later on. So John saw these uh, scribes and Pharisees and said, well, man, all these other people are getting baptized and we're more religious than they are, so baptize us. John said, I ain't going to baptize. That's not a good word. I'm not going to baptize you. You bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. You let me see your changed life. You let me see a change in your life. Let me see that you have repented. And the word repentant means to turn around. It means to go in another direction. And John said, hey, I'm not baptizing you because I don't see any fruits worthy of repentance that you have turned from your sin. And then, in talking about the importance of fruit, I want you to look on the screen of Matthew 12, 33. Jesus, now look at what he said. By the way, this is Jesus. I'm so glad I got the words of Jesus. I'm so glad it's not my opinion. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. I'm not in the judging business. I don't know what's in people's hearts. Jesus is the judge. He said, judge nothing before the time when the secrets of all hearts, men, of men of the hearts of all men will be disclosed. But I tell you what, you can be a fruit inspector. Jesus said, make the tree good or make it bad. He said, By their fruit, you shall know them. So I'm talking to somebody. I said, tell me about your relationship with Christ. Oh, I got saved when I was just a child. Oh, I grew up in so-and-so church. And I I said, well, tell me about now. And this person, as he's telling me that he's saved, he's living a, a wicked life, a sinful life. He's in the world. I mean, you, you, you can see, you can obviously not see any quote, spiritual fruit in his life. But he says, well, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Listen, it's kind of like the people, if some people went to heaven the way they live here, they'd be so out of place they'd want to leave. You heard about the two people that were going on a church picnic and there were two boats. One was going to a church picnic and the other was going to to the casino. And the Christian got on the boat that he thought was going to the a picnic, and he got on the boat going to casino, and about halfway over there, everybody's about half drunk and gambling, and he said, man, this is hell. And the uh, person that was going, thought he was going to the casino, got on the church going to the per- church uh, picnic, and he got on there and said, my heavens, this is hell. You don't live like hell and go to heaven. Do you understand? Is there anything about that you don't understand? Now, I'm just... By their fruit, you shall know them. And Jesus talked about, hey, the the importance of fruit. And I want you just to listen to him in John chapter 15. 
Listen to what he said about fruit, y'all. Now listen, I, I want everybody to be saved. My Lord, I want everybody to repent. I want everybody to go to heaven. Listen, I get no joy in thinking that anybody's going to hell. It ought to break our hearts. I don't care how wicked they are, how ungodly they are, but for the grace of God, that's where we would be. And it's only by His grace that we are saved. And oh my heavens, our hearts are broken over the souls of lost people. And God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He would have all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus died for every wicked person on the face of this earth, including you and me. And by the grace of God, our wickedness has been cured by the cross of Jesus Christ. But I'm just telling you the truth. He said, now listen, it's all about having fruit in your life. Look what he said. These are the words of Jesus. Abide in me, and I abide in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, he said, you can't have any spiritual fruit unless you're hooked up with me, unless you're relying on me, trusting in me, clinging to me, depending on me. He said, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, you'll never be fruitful on your own. Unless it abides in the vine. He said, you won't be fruitful unless you abide in me. Your fruit's going to come by the fact that you're abiding in me, who is the life and the vine. And then he goes on and keeps talking about it in verse 5. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Every branch who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. How do I know I'm in Jesus? You bear much fruit. Well, does that mean I'm never tempted? I didn't say that. Does it mean that I never get my eyes off Jesus and mess up? I didn't say that. I'm not saying that. But that's not your lifestyle. That is not your lifestyle. And he says, if you abide in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. You know, Brother Fred, I've been trying my best to live the Christian life. I've been trying my best to quit doing what I was doing. I know it's wrong, and I've been trying my best to do what's right. Let me tell you something. You might as well give up because you can't do it. Jesus said, without him, you can do what? I looked it up in the Greek. That means nothing. And so it's all about fruit, y'all. It's all about fruit. And if you have fruit in your life, that's an evidence that you're secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and all hell could never snatch you out of his hands. He says, he goes on and he says, abide in me. And, I, and then look in verse 8. He says, by this is my Father glorified. That you go to church regularly and you give and you get baptized and you take the Lord's Supper. And you recite all the rituals and so on, 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 on. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you shall be my disciples. You know what glorifies God? When he sees the fruit of Jesus in your life. When he sees the fruit. By this my Father is glorified. When you're just so fruitful. And it's such evident that you're my disciple. The fruit give evidence that you live in me and 
I'm in you and you're in me and we're, you're abiding in me and my life is in you and I'm giving you my life and you're bearing much fruit and it just glorifies my father and it just lets, lets, lets everybody know, man, he's a disciple. She's a disciple of Jesus. It's all about fruit. Look at verse 16. Boy, this is good. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Oh, Jesus died and came and brought up, we were drew to himself by the Spirit and he saved us. And he said, I did not choose you, and, but, but, uh, but you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and be, go forth and be religious. Not what he said. That you should go and bear fruit. Now get this. And that your fruit should remain. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not I'm following Jesus one day and living for the devil the next day. It says that your fruit should remain. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And you can ask the Father in my name and I'll answer you. Well, let let me say this. I want to talk to you just about fruit. Now, what is fruit? Okay. I got three verses. And then I'll be, I'll be through. I can't believe that. And you can't either. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Are you listening to me? Now, if you don't have fruit, you could be the wayside. You could be the stony ground. Or you could be the thorny ground, which means you're lost. Because they had no fruit. No fruit. You could be the good ground. Some people have 30-fold of fruit. Other Christians have 60-fold. Some have 100-fold. I, I mean, I don't understand every detail of that. But let, all right, what is fruit? All right, Philippians 1.11. I love this. And I, I really, uh, go back to verse 10. I like this. This is, I pray this often. I pray, it says, and look at that verse. He says, that you may approve things that are excellent. You know what he's saying? Paul's writing to the, that you may might, right, might make right choices. He said, I am praying that you might make right choices, that you might approve the things that are excellent, that you'll be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's fruit, the fruits of righteousness. You know, it's honesty. It's, it's love. It's compassion. It's forgiveness. It's purity. It, it's just the fruits of righteousness. The, we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus. He's given us his righteousness, but that's been imparted to us. But we're filled with the fruits of that righteousness in our daily lives. I know what an unrighteous life is, but we also know what a righteous life is so the fruit he's talking about is the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ not for the glory and praise of God then Ephesians chapter 5 verse 9 verse 8 we're going to get 9 too you were once darkness that's before we got saved but now you are light in the Lord okay well then walk as a ch- walk as children of light <laughs> look at this 
The fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, I know what goodness is, and I know what righteousness is. I know what truth is. He said, that's the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. See, it's all about this. That there's the blessed security that Christ is in us and we're in Christ because our life is not barren. It is not barren. It is not barren. But our life is fruitful. It is fruitful. It's filled with the fruits of righteousness and goodness and truth. And that's the evidence that we're a child of God, that we're secure in Jesus. All right, then there's another verse. I love this. <laughs> What kind of fruit are you talking about, Brother Fred? The fruit of the Spirit. Not the works of the flesh. Mm -mm. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Loving God. Loving people. Loving God. Loving righteousness. Loving the Word of God. Loving people. It's joy, that inner strength. No matter what you go through. My God, you know, I tell you, some of us look back on our lives. We say, how did I make it? How did I ever get through that? And then we realize, you know, I didn't realize it. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. I, I love that picture of, of the guy, two people walking down the beach. I'm not going to do it. You'll get skin cancer. But they're walking down the beach. It's too hot and you sweat. My heaven. But anyway, they're walking down the beach and there's two sets of footprints. And then finally, as you get a little further, there's just one set of footprints. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Along the way, one of them got so tired, the other had to pick him up and carry him. Amen? You ever been there, please? I had been there since yesterday. You're walking along and say, my God, I don't know if I'm going to make this. And, you know, before you know it, the joy of the Lord, he just picks you up and you carries you. Whew. And you get through another day and you say, thank God. Thank God. He carried me another day. The fruit of the Spirit's love and joy and peace and long-suffering, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's the security in Christ that is unshakable, and the evidence that you're in Christ is you are not a barren person. Your life has the fruit of the presence of Jesus in your life. It is his fruit. It only happens in your life as you abide in him, and he bears that fruit. Now, let me say this. No fruit, then there's no root. But, Brother Fred, nobody's perfect. I didn't say that. But if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be a heathen. <laughs> S.L. was inviting this person who is from China, and he said, well, why don't you come to our church. And he said, I'm coming, but I'm a pagan. Thank God he knew what he was. <laughs> I've never had anybody tell me that. I'll come, but I'm a pagan. He's got a chance of getting saved if he knows he's a pagan. 
Man, there's the awesome security in Christ. Sometimes we fail, but Jesus is so quick to forgive and to restore when we repent. He's for us and not against us. He's not in heaven just waiting for us to mess up. We're his child. I, I got to give you this verse. I almost missed it. Okay, Hebrews twelve eleven, and I'm going to pray. I want you to get this verse. Well, what about when we get off the path? What if we, what if we mess up? Or we kind of drift away from the Lord. Now, if you say to me, Brother Fred, I have never drifted away from the Lord and never kind of got cold sometimes. I've never drifted away from the Lord. I said, I'm going to pray for you because you've got a problem lying. Because I understand that times this, we, we, we'll drift. Now, we will. I don't like it. We don't have to, but we do. But I will tell you one thing. If you're a child of God, he's going to come after you. The boat may be loose and drifting away from the shore, but the great shepherd's coming after you. Look what it says. He'll correct us. Thank God when I mess up and drift away from him, he will and love correct me because I'm his child. You don't correct somebody else's child, but you correct your child. And if you're a child of God, God will correct you if you, if you mess up. Do you believe that? Well, here it says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. <laughs> I never was happy when I got a spanking. My daddy said, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I said, that is not true. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. It's painful. When God corrects us, it's painful. But nevertheless, it yields the peaceable. When God corrects you, what does it yield? The peaceable fruit. God corrects you so you'll have fruit. The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And he goes on in the next verse and says, Therefore strengthen your hands which are, are, are hanging down and your feeble knees. And he goes on and says something else. And I don't think I had it down. But anyway, he says, he, no, I know why he says it. The next verse says, the reason he, that he, uh, you be, you'll be filled with the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And you'll be partakers of his holiness. So just remember that if you, as a Christian, get in a place where you're not being fruitful like you should because you're God's child, he'll correct you. Because he loves you and he'll restore you and you'll have the peaceable fruits of righteousness in your life when God corrects you. Let's pray together.